Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 23, our discussion on the role patient advocates play in supporting all the various stakeholders in the Nash and NAFLD communities. This conversation is really a tale of two dualities. It starts with Fahim Couch making the comment that there really is no fatty liver community. To have a real community around NAVLD and NASH, you would need not only to have hepatologists and patients, but also other physicians who treat different manifestations of the disease. The kind of thing that led Jorn Schottenberg earlier in this episode to describe Achim as a silo breaker. Louise Campbell, speaking from the UK perspective, agrees, but Andrew Scott and I note that the NASH Council, sponsored by the Global Liver Institute in the US, actually serves to do what Achim is describing, bring together different specialties and different activities. And as Donna Cryer discussed on a recent episode, one of her key activities was to get the American Heart Association involved in issuing a statement on the relationship between heart disease and fatty liver. The second duality is about who the patient is. If we're talking about short-term successful results, the patient is the cirrhotic or F3 patient where you can generate some quick successes and turnarounds. But the larger community is clearly the metabolic patient for whom you might not have short-term payoff, but over time will cost the society a lot more. Listen how the patient advocates and the other various panelists see the interplay between these two dualities. Interesting set of questions. As you will hear, patient advocates have a different point of view, but they are truly interesting people who play a critical role in the fatty liver ecosphere. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. I absolutely think you're right. There is no overall community. And it's interesting. If I get to a patient side of how do you get that peer-to-peer working, I think hepatitis C, for example, do it really, really well in the peer-to-peer advocacy groups and at their community and how somebody helps somebody lead and is that source of contact. That can be done very well. But I actually see it stronger in the population who are not patients. They are people who choose to have Fibroscan to know their liver health and well-being, to offer the prevention. And their psychology is totally different. Oh, so I've got high liver fat. Why would I not want to know? And what I tend to see, if you get a group of people, they then go out and compete against each other's scores and they make tweak slight tweaks to their diet their lifestyle and then they compete against each other there is something amazingly competitive about people who can't compete on a blood parameter but it is that brief intervention it is how do you motivate that and if you get groups it's easier but don't make them patients there is a different psychology there is a lot done about a patient role i did a set of scanning just briefly recently which was a long waiting list for an nhs of all of the people we discharged 83% had high liver fat they did not have fibrosis so if I had not had cap on my machine even liver physicians and who are only have kilopascals miss NAFLD we only are there for the NASH so that was 83% of a population we would have known nothing about and who would have been discharged and will be discharged who would have had no intervention whatsoever that's NAFLD that is a population who will as you were describing will probably be endocrine cardiologists but we've already missed an opportunity because we don't have technology with CAP in most units. So we're not even looking after the livers that we know. We're only looking after fibrosis, which is, comes back to Jean's point about silo. If we can't use technology and non-invasive, blood tests don't tell us. We are not able to design or develop that strong community. You're right, that's where we have to start because a lot of people are a community. They just need to be told their part and be part of that drive. Everybody has the right to know their liver health. Everybody has the right to avoid diabetes, heart disease, liver disease, and 
all of the plethora of diseases and conditions that are related. So it's really, really important to start breaking down these silos. And just a quick comment from my side, I think I don't really have an angle, at least from my side, to um, foster interpatient interactions. I can, if somebody walks in my door, I can't tell them the results of the previous guy that just walked out. And, uh, you know, I can say, you know, historically, I know this worked for someone, but this is pretty abstract. So as a physician, I think this is even, you know, how do I pull these people together? That That's probably easy, not easy for me. So you aren't what I was going to note is that when I think of who works on this problem or this issue most assiduously and effectively, I think about some of the things that GLI does. So um, I know, Andrew, can you share things that GLI is doing aimed at fostering cross-communication, breaking down silo, uh, getting different specialties and different patient groups, in, for example, to integrate and interact more effectively? Yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is in large part part of the, the Nash Council kind of umbrella. How can we bring together as many diverse voices as possible to talk about NASH. And I think that has led to a lot of valuable outcomes, like our language of NASH document that is kind of trying to get everyone to refer to the same data points, the same terminology when we talk about the condition, kind of level set the community. And we're talking about outside of just purely liver as well. Uh, you know, we're thinking of the diabetes angle, the obesity angle, the cardiovascular angle, and really trying to think of every player and ensuring they have a seat at the table in the Nash Council. But I will also mention as well to Lisa's point about technology. I think a lot of that is falling within our, our Beyond the Biopsy initiative, which I think I've mentioned on other podcasts as well. But again, if we can think of lessening the burden, just like when we're thinking of advocates and patient advocates, lowering that barrier of entry, thinking of generally uh, of GPs and, and primary care providers, how can we make it easier on them and showing them that it's actually very easy to diagnose liver health. It's very easy to have a conversation and easier to have that conversation earlier than later. So that initiative really, when we're thinking of that, how we can educate providers across different specialties, that's really been one of the goals of that initiative that we look forward to kind of continuing ramping up forward and partnering with others on that as well. Yeah, and I'd like to add this here. So um, so one tool I'm, I'm running is a very simple self-assessment for having a risk of having a liver disease. It's a simple questionnaire. It's a labor test in BE. And so we're not doing a lot of advertising because we try to generate data. Currently, we have around 360,000 participants so this year, and it, it seems that there is interest. So and interestingly is the self-assessment factor of people who might be at risk. When we had made some research, so and coming to your point, Luis, so we have pre-selected groups who are very empowered to be in a good health, to have regular exercise, to have healthy nutrition. They're interested in their health, so they go regular to check out. So, but we have a big proportion of those who don't care for health. And I think one of the groups is really, so we need to catch up is those in the age between 80 and up to 35, because this is the foundation basis for developing this more metabolic area disease. And this is where we have chances of early intervention. And therefore, I think one of the elements we can create there is a kind of self-assessment risk factor channels we need to promote. But in the framework, so as you said, Andrew, so um, love your liver, love your life. So it is part of the general 
health. And the other group I like to focus on where we need to do extremely well um, advertising and promoting to bring them into healthcare is those who are in late stage. What about the people with uh, NASH in a fibrosis stage of um, three and plus? So those cirrhotic patients uh, who don't know that there are cirrhotic patients, what about them? Because this needs urgency and this is something we need really to address in a different way and maybe because to put NASH more in a metabolic discussion, maybe we have chances. How do you see things like that? You know, from my perspective in the metabolic discussion, you have definitely more chances for prevention. You have chances to save money on healthcare systems. To identify the cirrhotic patients, we're very close to endpoints and I also want to see those in particular as I can do something with them. But the metabolic, identifying the metabolic patients goes more towards um, a general well-being, living healthy and these type of things. So I think that is very important. It's probably beyond what as a liver physician I can do, but I would say that's that's a key in decreasing numbers in the future. I think the other thing for me is looking at trying to find exactly the right people for a liver physician. Liver disease is growing exponentially around the world. Going to your point a little bit earlier about politicians wanting a quick win, the biggest quick win globally is liver cancer. We're not going to make the STG goals because of the rise of liver cancer around the world. So ultimately, all nations have to target finding liver cancer. Goes back to your earlier role, Joachim, with liver cancer, goes to a lot of the work that you guys are both doing, but also, also from the British perspective, the British Liver Trust are doing an awful lot of work and the government's putting in targets now about finding liver cancer patients or finding those with cirrhosis who are at risk. That is a big win that could be done and targeted from that perspective. But it is, it is finding the proportion of poor liver health that need a liver physician in the right level, the right gauge. And I know we talk about kilopascals being eight in a lot of the guidelines now as being where we want to refer people for. A few years ago, that was seven. Because of the numbers, it's going to rise to, to get to the deepest concentration quickest so we appreciate why but it doesn't mean that there's no disease at that lower level so they may still need to be looked at rather than just oh you don't make the criteria go but you want to find the endocrine health you want to find the cardiology health so it is that all-inclusive ability of the liver to be the, the the metaphor we've used recently the window to your health the window to metabolic health, the window to various, obviously, polycystic ovary disease, we could say it's a window to reproductive health, both for men and women. It's probably because it's always been stigmatized. It's always been sold in the wrong way. We really need to change that. And getting everybody together around the tables at conferences like Barcelona next week, we've obviously got Easel, we've got Arzold. Nashtag had a roundtable discussion. I think, Roger, you're leading a discussion next week with various different people, including Joaquin. But that is the strength that I see coming now, developing and moving on in the future. That's a marvellous movement forward through all of the advocacy groups. And that's where the strength lies, I think, in the future. Louise, let me, let me take a minute. Let me, first of all, let me run around to the other side of the table. I haven't revealed this since episode one, okay? But it's possible that my interesting fact is that my first career was in political polling. And I polled for members of Congress. I polled for governors. I have a perspective that I think is maybe even a little different than Achim and Andrews and certainly different than, say, Louise's or, or yours. And the, nothing moves politicians like short-term hard numbers, right? 
what can you do for me next month? What can you do for me next quarter? What can you do for me next year? Prove it. And if it's not next year, it probably doesn't matter or it doesn't matter as much or it's a whole different kind of a sell. The problem I've always thought liver has, and this is previewing a little bit of how we're going to tee up Saturday's talk, is that if you want to treat cholesterol, you've got LDL levels. If you want to treat hypertension, you get CVD, even you can start with blood pressure. If you want to treat diabetes? Well, we've all settled in on glycohemoglobin. There is no number for the liver, right? Uh, and Louise, your point is a good one. You could probably could use CAP as a number if you could get enough tests to enough people and some integrated sense on how to use it. We had Naeem on the other week, and you and he were significantly off on the number that you would have preferred to use, although you agreed it was because you were looking for different things. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. I am off to Barcelona for the Innovations in Natural Care 2022 conference. We'll be back next week with a wrap-up episode on this exciting inaugural conference. If you're listening Wednesday night, Thursday, or in Europe, India, and the Middle East Friday morning, you can still register for the virtual link to the Innovations Conference. That link appears on the Surfing Nash website. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye now.